Hello, and welcome to the Discovering Hidden Profit podcast for business leaders. Today, in part two of this series, Julia Kirby interviews Robert Martichenko on the future of the supply chain industry post-COVID-19. To read Robert's white paper on this topic, go to leancore.com under Supply Chain and Business Strategy Resources. And if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the Discovering Hidden Profit podcast channel. I'm Julia Kirby, LeanCore's online training manager, and I'm joined by Robert Martichenko, speaker, author, and LeanCore Supply Chain Group CEO. Hi, Robert. Hi, Julia. Good morning. Good morning. So in case our listeners missed it, in the last episode, we dug into some of the factors contributing to the current supply chain issues resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic and and just started to to really touch on this idea of a one team approach. So kind of going back to uh, where we left off and and digging a little bit deeper into some of the the global supply chain issues. So for a while now we've been hearing about the need to make where you sell and to reduce reliance on on foreign imports and lower our carbon footprint create job opportunities and and stimulate the economies locally. But today, more than ever, we're feeling the negative impact of that foreign dependency because securing products and resources essential to get us through this crisis are just not easily attainable. And, And I think one of the biggest fears that organizations have around this repatriation repatriation of manufacturing is is cost. So is is that a fair assumption? Well, I think that an element of the global supply chain and the evolution of the global supply chain over the last several decades was certainly an element of cost. One of the reasons why you would outsource manufacturing to what was known as a low-cost country is because it's a low-cost country. So certainly the global supply chain in, in many respects evolved because of organizations looking for lower cost of inputs or lower cost of finished goods if they're just a distributor. So do you think this, you know, the the cost or the the low cost assumption is is still relevant? Do you think it's actually lower cost or is that just a, a perception at this point? Well, that's a great question. And I think that to answer that question, correctly we have to take a step back and and frame it around what conversation we're talking about if we're talking about the current situation with COVID-19 and a lack of uh, safety inventory a lack of um, uh, personal protection equipment and a lack of healthcare equipment and a lack of medicines and masks and so forth then the cost conversation shouldn't even be part of it. In other words, why would we be talking about cost when we're talking about um, inventory that uh, is required uh, to save lives? So I think from that perspective, then we shouldn't be having the cost conversation. However, there is a lack of inventory and a lot of that inventory is in fact being manufactured from an American and Canadian perspective, it's being manufactured overseas. Um, And the reason why it was sent, a lot of those items were sent overseas is because they were considered low cost items that were mass are mass produced in, uh, in large factories. So there was a cost element. So I think what we're, uh, what we're learning now relative to 
the healthcare items that are in short supply is yes they were outsourced because of the nature and characteristics of them many of them being low cost items and now we're struggling uh, to get the inventories that we need um, however going forward when it comes to life-saving inventories there shouldn't be an element of cost because how do you put a how, how do you develop a formula uh, that uh, tells you whether cost um, you know what what is the what is the cost structure you're going to accept uh, to save lives and it, we should be paying anything we have to in order to save lives but that being the case the second conversation is what are organizations going to be doing going forward and how are we and how are we going to be changing our our paradigms and our mental models on these things and i think it, it it's important to call out that you know my personal perspective i this isn't about being anti-trade uh, this isn't about being anti-global uh, it's really about being anti-lead time and anti-supply chain instability so when we talk about building where you sell um, we're not talking about just building in America or building in Canada. We're talking about building where you sell. So if you're selling in China, then you should make your product in China and your suppliers should be in China. If you're selling in uh, the United States, then where possible, you should build in the United States and your suppliers should be in the United States. And it's really about the reduction of lead times, though, because it's the lead time that creates the waste inside our supply chain it's the lead times that reduces our flexibility and as we reduce flexibility we we uh, open ourselves up to instability um, so the conversation is less from 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 a lean and operational excellence perspective the conversation is not about nationalism uh, or patriotism it's about supply chain flexibility and supply chain stability which is a result of reducing lead times so what do you think a successful plan looks like for establishing this you know, near shore manufacturing or uh, you know, adding more flexibility and, and stability to a, a company's supply chain? Like, what does that plan look like? How do, how do we change? Well, again, that question, I think we need to answer it from two perspectives. One is the current COVID healthcare crisis supply chain crisis perspective and then just going forward relative to healthcare and the uh, PPE the personal protection equipment and and uh, and uh, ventilators and masks and all of the things that have now made um, made the news because they're in shortage um, we're gonna we're going to have to take um, uh, take stock on these things and as we come out of this and we start planning, for the possibility of future healthcare crises, we're going to need to understand how we're going to be able to react. And, and that is not going to result in some strategy of inventory and stockpiling inventory. You know, as we talked earlier, uh, that's just not um, a reasonable approach. What we're going to have to be able to do is have the manufacturing capability and flexibility here in North America in order to very quickly ramp up and make the products that we need in a healthcare crisis. And that's where, you know, when we get to the elements of inside the white paper that we put out, it's about one team and one system. 
And so public and private uh, enterprises are going to have to come together and not-for-profits. And we're have to, going to have to develop a supply chain strategy that is focused on flexibility. And that flexibility means that as a crisis happens, we have the capability to see what is happening, to understand what we're going to need, and then be able to maybe supply some of it out of, uh, of, out of an inventory, but recognize that it's really going to be about manufacturing quickly uh, with, with short lead times in order to get the product that we need. So that's story one, which is around a healthcare crisis. Um, story two is going to be just supply chains in general. Um, I think that, that we're going to be questioning a lot of the um, offshoring that has happened. And a lot of conversations are going to be happening around reshoring and nearshoring. And we're probably going to have to get good solid definitions around what these things mean. Um, organizations uh, who, who aren't going to reduce lead times by principle will continue to try to do it from a costing point of view. And perhaps there'll be a new... Um, you know, a new approach to building total cost models where organizations will dig a little deeper to really understand whether uh, they actually are saving the money they are because of these extended lead times. So my guess is that, you know, I, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know if all of a sudden we're going to see new factories being built in North America. However, I'm pretty sure at a minimum, we're going to see a, a new level of questioning the global supply chain, and in particular for critical items that are related to um, health care and items that are related to getting us out of any type of crisis, you know, be it a health care crisis or weather crisis or other types of crises that we may face. And I know you have a lot of experience working with healthcare companies. So, you know, what have you learned about the nature of healthcare supply chains specifically that, that really set them apart from, from other types of businesses? Well, I think that the, the most important thing to understand about healthcare supply chains is that they're complicated. And, um, and that's not an excuse, and it shouldn't be something, a, a crutch that we rely on, no pun intended, but it's true. Um, they are complicated supply chains, and we are talking about life and death. And so this is the real deal. It's not like if, uh, if parts don't you know, show up at a car factory and, uh, and the car factory goes down for a few hours. You know, that's not great, and nobody likes it, but it's not life and death. Healthcare supply chains uh, are different. They are absolutely critical and they're complicated. And, but the thing is, is that what we have to question is, is are they complicated because of the nature of the supply chain or are they complicated because we make them more complicated than they need to be? So for example, uh, SKU or product complexity, if you go into a hospital, uh, you may have uh, 22 different types of gloves because certain you know a certain clinician prefers a certain type of glove you may have uh, 50 different types of trays being set up for surgeries because each surgeon uh, may may have their own preference on how trays should be set up and so so there is an element of 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 um there there's an element of complexity 
that exists in the healthcare supply chain that perhaps doesn't need to exist. Things like a lean principle like standardization, uh, minimum viable product, uh, postponement, uh, inventory postponement. These are concepts that, that really aren't completely understood inside healthcare. They're certainly not embraced to any large extent. So I think that there, there, there's, there, there's so kind of in summary, there's a complexity with healthcare supply chains that we can't just discount. We can't say, oh, uh, it shouldn't be so complex. However, of that complexity, how much of it is of our own doing? And if we changed our paradigms, how much of it could we actually pull back a little bit to reduce that complexity so some best practices in supply chain from non-healthcare industries could be utilized effectively in the healthcare industry. Absolutely. And the last time we spoke, we touched a little bit on, on the concept of, of creating a one-team approach, that this one team could prevent the critical supply chain issues that, that we've been seeing but we didn't really get into to how this could work and how it could actually play out to be the solution um, you know, to, to help prevent issues like this going forward. So what does this coordination effort look like? like how does it work? Well, the one team concept is for the healthcare crisis supply chain management or, or developing a supply chain through a healthcare crisis. And what it means is that we have to recognize that there's there's absolutely no way we can just rely on the government, Washington and governors to manage us through a healthcare crisis because we're, we have to rely on private enterprise as well. And and we also have to rely on not-for-profit organizations. And you have, you have all sorts of organizations out there from from FEMA, which is government, to private enterprises who can manufacture goods and distribute goods, to uh, not-for-profits who who work who work on on um, getting um, uh, products to people in need and and so forth. But right now, it's extremely fragmented in this country, and the the the, the government efforts aren't aren't working completely with private enterprise, and private enterprise isn't working with not-for-profits, and so. What we need to be able to do is we need to be able to understand what is it that the supply chain has to be able to do when a crisis begins and what is the team that we need, recognizing that team is a combination of public and private and not-for-profit. And it needs to be pre-established. It can't be, the team can't be formed in the middle of the crisis. The, the team has to be pre established we have to practice we have to know our roles and responsibilities and that's going to take a commitment because when we come out of this there may be um you know a fury of activity and everybody will believe that we need to be pre-planning and get the team but then perhaps another crisis doesn't happen for two three years then we kind of as somebody said to me earlier today everybody hits the snooze button and the level of commitment for time and resources goes away because, oh, nothing's happening. And then when something does happen, all of a sudden we forgot all of the work that we have done. And I think that there's evidence of that with this current crisis in that, in that some of the uh, learnings that we've learned from past decades uh, during crisis, uh, we're not leveraging right now. 
um, because too much time goes by in between crises. So learnings that happen, the people that drove the learning aren't around anymore. And then all of a sudden we're reinventing the wheel every time a new crisis happens. So that's the biggest thing that has to come out of this is that we need to recognize that we need to pre-plan one team. We need to design one system and we need to practice and we need to understand roles and responsibilities so we're ready when the crisis happens. And if a crisis doesn't happen, we can't continue to, um, to just uh, come off the pedal. We have to keep strong on it. So who do you think is going to lead this initiative? Do you think it will be by legislation or one of these not-for-profit organizations or a private enterprise? You know, how do you think it, it, it could start to, you know, to begin to come together? Well, that's a great question. And uh, I would suspect that it has to be led by a public. It has to be led by Washington and by our governors who are ultimately responsible uh, for leadership in the event of a crisis. But it can't be just, uh, so it, I think the conversation needs to be started at the public level, but they need to invite private and not-for-profit. There are so many professionals, in particular in the supply chain industry, there are so many brilliant minds in supply chain. Um, but then when you turn on the news and you see who's, you know, the, the teams that are that are uh, brought together to see us through these crises, you wonder whether any of those brilliant minds are even on the teams. Um, and so I think the answer to the question is it has to start uh, with our public institutions, but it very quickly has to involve uh, private and not-for-profit leadership. So I have one last question for you. Once the stay-at-home orders are, are lifted and non-essential businesses are, are given the green light to go ahead and start working again, you know, how do we get back to, to where we were? How do we make up for lost time? Like, what's, how, how do we do that? Well, you know, I, I'm, I don't have a crystal ball and I don't know how, when and uh, where things are going to come back as nobody does. Um, and so I, 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 the only thing that I can suggest is what are we going to do when we do get back? And one of the, you know, obviously we get, uh, we get our team members back. We get to um, make sure everybody's safe and healthy and, 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 and that our organizations are stable and that we've all said, okay, wow, we made it through this. But then we ask ourselves, okay, what's the work we have to do? And from a supply chain perspective, that means we're going to have to start to ask ourselves what risk we have in our inside our supply chains. It's a very interesting, this COVID um, crisis has resulted in a very interesting thing in that we have some organizations where their, their demand literally dropped, their businesses just dropped. And then, but we have others whose businesses have gone through the roof that their demand is, um, as, is, as, higher than they ever imagined and then some organizations it's they've getting they have both for some of their products demand has gone through the roof for other products it's completely dropped off so supply chain risk which fundamentally and traditionally was all about risk of interruption of supply um, now has a new element which is the risk of demand changing significantly whether it's up or down um, and so I think a lot of organizations, maybe every organization uh, has 
now realize that they didn't quite understand the capabilities of their supply chains from from the point of view of demand going down significantly or the point of view of demand increasing significantly. Um, and so those, I believe that the assessments of supply chains are going to be a big thing going forward. That the word supply chain and supply chain leaders are going to be in the boardroom even more than they are today. And this, 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 this knowing and understanding that our businesses really are about our supply chains uh, is going to be critical and it's going to be very interesting to see how the conversation of supply chain now becomes part of the general business conversation. Well, this has been a great conversation and, and I think there's more to this risk assessment that, that we can dive into next time. But for now, that's all the time we have. Thanks, Robert. Julia, thank you and have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening.